Remember when everybody wanted Rosie Perez to call him Poppy after White Man Can't Jump? This is a true story. To find out what happens, what happens? when people stop being polite. Start getting. <laughs> So I'm going to start off this week by saying my disappointment with Monique. I know we've been killing her in the media. I'm not even going to kill her for the thing that everybody else is. I'm going to kill her for the use of calling her husband daddy. Um, if you're an 80s baby slash 90s baby like myself, I grew up watching Rosie Perez uh, wipe down my man Spike Lee with the ice and call him Poppy. I remember her and Woody Harrelson and White Men Can't Jump and he was again Poppy. I thought that would be what I wanted my girl to call me. Thanks to Monique, I never, ever, ever want to have that fantasy again. Let's think about this. A grown woman, and I want to say she's older than her husband, was straight up calling my man daddy on national radio. Daddy on national radio. I don't even know if I want my kid to call me daddy growing up. Well, nah. If I have a baby girl, she can call me what she wants. But like oh, an adult woman? Hell no. Hell, hell, hell no. Um, Welcome to episode 44 of The Real World. Uh, I'm glad to have you guys here with me and being listeners again. Uh, this week is going to be real all over the place. Um, I want to hit it with some quick thoughts. Nothing too serious. Uh, obviously, after the wake of, you know, the events of the last couple of weeks um, that have had a serious tone with like national dialogue, I want you to be able to kind of relax and have something a little bit more lighthearted. Uh, something that I thought about um, a lot of times I get inspirations from my topics and things to touch from my friends. Um, I wish I had like a podcast crew so I could spin ideas off of them or black Twitter. Black Twitter is usually my number one resource of where I'm going to talk about something. Unfortunately for me, uh, Black Twitter was dominated by two things last week. Uh, Safari. Um, and it wasn't him. And you know what I'm saying? The coconut oil or what is it that he does? The uh, the furs. It wasn't about that. It was about him being naked on the gram. Wasn't clicking that pick. Um, the other big thing was the Black China Challenge, which was probably the worst sex tape I've ever seen from a celebrity. And because she's a woman, I did click the link. Sorry. Hi, mom. I hope you didn't hear that. Um, but it got me to thinking about something. It seems like it's a formula for everybody in terms of like releasing that kind of material. I'm not saying that Safari did this on purpose or even Black China did. But we always think... Uh, two things, right? When Black China releases like her video, we think or we default to that being like, uh, yo, she's a hoe. Why'd she do that? Um, when Safari does it, regardless of like all of the googly eyes and how women are all hyped about it, normally if a if a guy sends you a dick pic, you're just not happy about it. Like some unwanted shit. You didn't want to see that. You don't want no parts of it. You think my man is corny. So if we put that in the, like, you know, if we think about it, even as a guy, if I see, if some girl I'm just not attracted to, that's really trying to get at me, sends me some shit, I'm probably not going to think that she's a hoe. I'm just going to be like, all right, cool. Like, I don't really like this, but whatever. 
you don't get the corny label. You just are what you are. So why do we apply like labels that are generally um, derogatory to women when this kind of stuff happens? Now, again, I'm not trying to black like cape for black China, but every single time I feel like this stuff happens, we always kind of demonize the woman. Um, I also hate the formula that this shit kind of takes. Uh, I release a nude or a sex tape leaks and next thing you know, somebody's popping and, and they're popular. Uh, Safari was on the breakfast club today talking about his single. And while I don't think my man makes great music, he seems like a good person. So like you want to root for him. He's probably going to have a hit this year. How much is that going to be driven by the attention that he got, whether negative or po- uh, positive? Versus the actual art of his music. We've always clowned his music and said that his delivery wasn't dope. But it looks like he's about to have something out this year. And I would be highly shocked that if in 2018, my man didn't have a big record. I guess the thing that's probably going to diss that is that unfortunately, when Black China stuff seems to leak, there's no record to support it or no big thing. She's not a part of the Kardashian family anymore. So that stuff doesn't really help her. Um, but I just want to know what people think about that. Uh, feel free to email me, uh, leave comments on, you know, all of the different avenues that you'll find my podcast. Um, I'm a little interested to see the dialogue between like, you know, how men and women see these kind of things. Um, quick thought, uh, and this is totally random as fuck, but I live in the DC area and you know, I turned 37 last week in my entire life. Um, I've only lived in two states, Mar- basically, well, three. I've lived in the Maryland, D.C. area most of my life, and I lived in California. I've always seen an Arby's store. I don't eat beef. Most of the people I know that do eat beef, I can promise you that I've never seen a single person inside of Arby's. How are they still in business? Like, I don't know of any other fast food place that never has customers, but you still have stores. You might not have a ton of them, but where the fuck are they doing business at? And who's running their marketing and their business campaign? Like, I get it. You get the commercial for, you know, all the meats, but I still don't see them driving any business to the actual place. Like, what are we going to do? Um, I feel like their only customers are probably like old ass people. And what are you really trying to give me? A roast beef sandwich with some gravy on some like soggy white bread? Like, tell me what their thing is. Honorable mention for like places that stay in business goes out to KFC. Everybody knows that black people are supposed to like chicken. Yo, I'm saying it. It's Black History Month. Somebody's probably said some corny shit about black people loving fried chicken. But nobody seems to love the Colonel's um, 11 herbs and spices. Like real talk, um, I know they're part of the Yum Brands group, so they tend to put them with, uh, I believe, either KFCs or Pizza Huts, and they do the whole little multi-place kind of building now, multi-purpose building, but it's always empty. Like there's one up the street from my house, and the Chipotle after the, I don't think it was Salmonella, whatever the contamination of food that they were currently dealing with a couple of years ago. And it was empty and nobody was really rocking with Chipotle. Chipotle still had more people in it than KFC. I've never seen a person in a drive through every time I've driven past it. That just tells me that nobody really likes your food. So again, how the hell are you still in business? 
if you can't beat a, you know, a sick burrito, what are we doing? Like, I feel like if we're just going to waste money, you can give me some of this money to make up something and I can come up with a better idea for you. Unless, um, cause like I said, I want to keep this podcast episode pretty short and simple. Um, here's one of these other things that I want to really know about as a guy. Why the fuck are every, well, no, why the fuck is everything that we wear got to be so form fitting now? I'm not a woman, right? No disrespect to women. I love women, you know, from the Parasuco jeans of the night, like the late nineties to the tights of the, you know, like the, the kid and play era when girls used to tie sweaters over their, um, over their booty so it wouldn't pop out and show. I remember all of that shit. I remember the 2000s when skinny jeans and stuff and still were in uh, to the transition of sevens and all of this like expensive dem- denim to now fashion overs taking over with the stupid cheap jeans that form fit everything. But as a guy, right? And I'm only talking in very specific things. I'm cool with the slim fit pants. Like I got the slim fit suit. Like it's tight around my ankles. I get all of that. My basketball shorts, though, I still want to wear basketball shorts like I believe I'm going to be Michael Jordan. I don't want to wear basketball shorts like I'm Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or John Stockton or Magic Johnson. That's the trend that we seem to be going through. And I know that this is crazy because, unfortunately, women love men in in gray sweatpants. I get it. You want to see somebody's uh, package to kind of see what they're working with. You can see outlines and prints. It's kind of the same way that we look at y'all when y'all have on something crazy form fitted. I understand it. I'm not taking that from any of you guys. But here's my beef. I just want to play ball. I already got some tights on while I'm going to hoop. Why I got to have one like some slim cut basketball shorts? I really feel like Whatever, like I bought my XL basketball shorts, even at the time to be big on purpose. So XL was perfect. I felt liberated. I felt free. There was no restriction on movement. Now I feel like my basketball shorts, nothing goes below the knee no more. Everything has a much higher end seam. I'm like, yo, what what the fuck? And I know it sounds like a crazy rant, but it's one of those things where it really bothers me. Again, I can't even put my wallet or my keys in my pocket without you being able to tell exactly what I'm working with. And this is my basketball shorts. Why is that okay? I know you hear my voice going up high like I'm plies, but it's one of those things that bother the fuck out of me. And for the life of me, I don't know who decided to make this cool. Like I see James Harden walking around with his shorts tucked up, thinking that that's okay. Russell Westbrook, another one, wears his shorts tucked up. So they trying to show more thigh. What? We're men. We don't show thighs. Like, we're, we're, where do they do that at? Clearly, they do it in America. I understand fashion being a trend. Nike got tired of making the exact same thing year in and year out. We needed to have a reason for you to buy all of this stuff. Ah, we got it. We'll start slimming things down. When we slim things down and we shorten them, now everybody's wearing, you know, uh, three quarter inch tights under every pair of basketball shorts. They won't care that it's so short and that their thighs are showing. Like, I don't want my quad muscles popping out like that. The, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I want to be a little covered. And I get it. The materials are nice. They definitely wick sweat and the dry fits and all of those are real cool. But I just want to have a little bit more room to it. 
I want my XL to go back to fitting like the 2XL that it used to fit like. Like, I'm cool with the medium shirts and, you know, um, the tight hoodies and stuff. Up top, yeah, I can do the, the smaller clothes. But just, you know, for me, I'm asking, can we please reverse this trend and not go back to the short, short era? Please, please, please. Like I said, I wanted to keep this week really light. Um, You hear me ranting about a bunch of stuff that really doesn't matter. Uh, I'm releasing this on a Wednesday. It's going to be the last day of Black History Month. And so um, I'm going to touch on a few things after this real quick break. And we'll be right back with some protect at all costs. me to come in and start flowing like I was either Drizzy or I was Jay-Z. First up this week, we want to protect at all costs. I want to protect the artist known as Sade. I know a lot of times we consider the artist known as Sade to just be a single person and it's actually a group. The band is named after the lead singer. Um, While specifically I want to protect her and always give her shout outs, the reason why she's coming back in the consciousness or why I'm even thinking about her right now, um, she decided to come out of her, you know, her long self-imposed hiatus that she always does after every album, probably for the last 25 years or so. Um, she decided to add a track to Oprah's newest movie, A Wrinkle in Time. I've never seen the movie. I know nothing about the book that I believe that it's based on. I just know that it's a story that was picked up and directed by Ava DuVernay, who is everybody's favorite black uh, producer slash director. Um, and because specifically Ava asked her to do this, she decided to come out of, you know, hiding wherever she's at in, in England to jump on this track. So I have a, a, a T-shirt that I bought. Um, I think I got it last summer. It says crushing on Denise Huxtable since like 88. Honestly, I can say the exact same thing about Sade. But the difference was I loved her music from the moment that I heard it. I can specifically draw back inspiration from her and I can say that um, here's a humble brag. As a kid, I had cable, I believe when I was about seven years old. Uh, Most people I know didn't even all have cable all throughout their house, but I had it in my bedroom perks of being an only child but the reason why that's relevant is that it allowed me to watch mad music videos like i watched all of the stuff on bet i want to say sade's videos were still coming on vh1 at that point so it was one of the few blocks that would actually have a person of color on it and i would tune to it just for that um she was on mtv and it was just something soulful about her voice that i loved back then it's her voice to this day why if anybody that happens to be British and black, you probably got me at hello. You ain't even got to say nothing else. Once I hear that that accent come out, I'm already in love. I'm like, yo, have all my money. Like, here's my life. What can we do together? Um, But I say all of that to say uh, before I get killed and I don't want to get killed. I'm just kidding, baby. Hey, uh... 
one of the reasons I love Sade so much was I bumped her CD all through high school. If you had that orange CD that you ripped out of the packaging, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's not even one of her albums. It was her best of. Um, this was mood music for me. I listened to it while I was playing Resident Evil. I listened to it while I was having um, all of these crazy phone conversations up until, you know, two and three in the morning with whatever girl I was dealing with. I want to give uh, much love and respect to my mother again because I was one of the few people I know that had my own phone line. So my phone could ring anytime and I wouldn't get in trouble. Nobody had to ask for a Mrs. Such and Such. You just got the call directly to me. Um, this also got me out of trouble because, of course, like, the few times teachers would call, they would call my number and not my mom's. And I would say something silly to get myself out of it. And that helped me keep from getting in trouble. Um, but back to Sade, uh, I just think that it's dope that she's been able to kind of transcend different generations. She was making music with Michael Jackson. She was relevant in the 90s again when, you know, all I was listening to was anything that came out of New York, whether it was uh, Jay-Z a little further down the road in Jersey, a red man, Biggie. I was heavy in the rap in the mid to late 90s scene. She was still there. In the 2000s, when I was in college, she dropped an album and I was still listening to it. Lover's Rock was dope. Like I played that in my dorm room. So I think it's awesome that you could have these artists now where as I get older, even though they're significantly older than I am, I can still enjoy the things that they're doing. No, I probably th never think she'll make another song as great as No Ordinary Love. But she doesn't have to. It's something new and it's refreshing. And I appreciate it about our generation that we're able to kind of grow older with our artists and watch them still make the kind of music that we like. So I believe she's 58 this year. Um, I would love to see her make an album in her 60s. And when I'm much older... I'm still able to enjoy it and love it the exact same way. So, uh, Miss Sade, um, I love you. I respect you. I'm very happy that you're coming out with something. I can't wait to hear it. Even if it's whack, it's going to be treated like Black Panther to me, and I'll never say a bad word about it. Um, protect at all costs, person number two this week. <sighs> um... I'm not sure you're familiar with Michael Steele. If you are, he happens to be everyone's favorite black Republican. He might not be your favorite black Republican because a lot of black people just aren't Republicans, but he's certainly mine. Um, a few fun facts about my man. Most people don't know that he was Mike Tyson's brother-in-law. Yeah, look that up, that's real. Uh, but one of the reasons why I personally, um, I guess, can identify with him was that he was the lieutenant governor of my state um, part of the time when I was in college. And if I'm honest, uh, because my choices at the time were between voting for um, Bob Ehrlich or I want to say Tommy Carchetti, I later on, I didn't initially vote for the Republican, but in the second uh, time when they tried to run, I voted for the Republican because I thought that if you don't know, Martin O'Malley is Tommy Carcetti from The Wire, basically a corrupt politician. Everybody knew it. He ran for governor of Maryland and won, doing a whole bunch of crazy shit. But um, I say all of that to say he's 
this is a guy that's been on our radar for a really long time. First black lieutenant governor in Maryland's history. Um, he's done a lot of stuff. While I might not necessarily always agree with his politics, I can certainly give credit to where credit's due. It's not easy being the not so iron Mike. Get it? Because he's really not Mike Tyson. But, you know, uh, you fast forward how he was able to stay through, stay relevant through his party. Um, he actually became the first black chairperson of the RNC. In 2009, uh, right after the election of Barack Obama, Republicans said like, hey, we need to do something different. We're not reaching people. Fuck, maybe give the black guy a try. Now, that's how I saw it as a black person when I rewind the tape and I look back at that time period. The problem is, is that so many people, especially, and I would say specifically Republicans, didn't feel like they elected him because they were black or because he was black. Here is the issue. Uh, just last week, um, there's a huge conference that they put on every year. Uh, we can consider it the Republican Super Bowl or whatever the biggest conferences that you can think of. They usually have that and it's called CPAC. Um, one of the people there basically came out and said, you know, we only elected him because he was black and that wasn't the right thing to do. Now, if we're talking from a skills perspective and a management style, you can you can certainly debate with uh, his performance. And I think that's OK. The minute that it was brought up about being raced by someone else showed you exactly kind of how people felt. And I ask these questions or I make these statements because let's be honest, what do you say to a 17 year old who has conservative principles? What do you say to a person who, again, that's black, that's 16, 17 years old, they think that fiscal responsibility, they think that the message of conservatism of just like, you know, not necessarily rocking the boat, but making minor changes to the existing constitution is okay. What part of the Republican Party do they have now? And I don't want to make this seem like Republicans are all racist or that you're, you know, that Republicans have all of that stuff on lock, because if I'm honest, there are Democrats who are racist, too. But I have a big problem with the way that they interpret the Constitution. And here's where I'll get serious, where I've kind of joked around so much of the podcast. Um, if we're honest, the Constitution was one huge compromise between the haves and the have nots. Those haves, unfortunately, included a bunch of slave states who knew that the the occupants of their states generally were vastly outnumbered by their own, you know, kind of human capital, i.e. when I won't even say capital, but human property. There were significantly more slaves than there were slave owners in the South. Because of this, we decided to say, hey, we'll make a compromise with you on the Second Amendment. During that time period, um, almost every male with you know a few exceptions uh, between the ages of 18 and 45 had to take part in the slave patrol. This is important to remember. There's a real reason why the second amendment, and I quote this when I say this, 
a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now think about this for a second. The key word in that entire phrase was state. It should have been country. Nobody, no state at the time was worried about the British invading them. The country wasn't was really worried about the British. But we made a choice to prioritize state rights in terms of militias over the security and the, you know, the protection of the country. Why did we do this? We did this because we thought that the compromise was worse than not being together. So if we're to read the, the Constitution as intended, it never intended for black people to have the kind of protections and the same rights as other people. And any party that specifically says that it doesn't necessarily want to see these things change because things were better the way that they used to be. America used to be great. America used to be the land of the free and the home of the brave. And that the way that the Democrats are trying to change it, we don't recognize it anymore. I can't personally subscribe to anybody that feels that way. I'm not saying that the Democrats are right. There's a lot of things that they do that are completely wrong in my opinion. But because so many of our laws were written from the perspective of people owning people, we all have to kind of take a look at this stuff. And if we're unwilling to do that, that's just the party that I can't follow. This is one of my biggest beefs with the Republican Party is currently constituted. I understand from Mike uh, Steele's point of view why he initially joined. I'm not saying that he's a bad person. I'm not saying that he's stupid or a lot of the things that we typically categorize black Republicans as being. He's none of that stuff. But I want us to say, A, we need to take a look at this and B, have an honest conversation about where we're going and how people are going to be treated in this country. So, um, I mentioned this earlier that this episode is dropping on the last day of Black History Month. Every year I feel like someone does something really fucking stupid to commemorate what they think black people are, are about and how we should feel. Um, NYU thought it was a good idea to serve red Kool-Aid and watermelon flavored water. I'm gonna keep it all the way real. The hood joke has always been like, yo, what kind of Kool-Aid is that? Red? I don't know if it's a flavor. I don't know if it's fruit punch. It's whatever, whatever random flavor that would mix red. Yo, I get that. It was funny. Ha ha ha. It was a hood joke. NYU should know better. I'm going to be real. Like I said, I was born in 1981. Straight up, my mom didn't buy Kool-Aid. She didn't buy it in the 80s. When the Kool-Aid man was busting through, like, you know, people's walls. She didn't buy the 90s when they had the little Kool-Aid twist-off kind of juices. If I'm honest, I really wasn't exposed to Kool-Aid like that until I went to college. And I needed something for some coloring and any jungle juice that I was mixing with alcohol. That's all I needed it for. I needed it for the color. So I want us to get to the point where instead of kind of... I don't even say it's categorizing, but instead of us making characters, characters of like the different way that people perceive blackness in February, I want us to be able to get to the point where we can talk about black accomplishments with American accomplishments all year round. 
I know that that sounds like a hoop dream or something that like I'm praying on that may not happen in my lifetime, but here's something else that I never thought I would see. A black president. If you love the content of this podcast and you want to see me keep going, please like, subscribe, share it to your friends, leave a comment on iTunes and SoundCloud. Those comments and likes um, and ratings really help me with all of this. Uh, This has been episode 44, and we're out until next week. It's March Madness, baby.